podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Across the Pond Sports Podcast, part of Across the Pond Sports Network. Don't forget to drop us a rating and review after the episode. Check us out on social media and on our website at atbsports.net. Yes, you're back for another week of NBA action, and there has been a lot of action over the last week. However, we're going to stick initially to this side of the pond. There has been somewhat of an American-style type move with football clubs, soccer clubs in the UK and around Europe, where they were going to move into this European Super League franchise. It was going to be moneyed by JP Morgan, because they've got a great reputation. And they were going to put together this European Super League of super clubs. Now, news has kind of moved quite quickly, Ryan. And already two teams have dropped out. We've seen Chelsea uh, drop out and apparently signed papers to say they wanted to drop out of this deal. Uh, And Manchester City have followed suit. And someone at Manchester United, some bigwig, has resigned over this whole thing. Now, what's weird about this is for as long as I can remember since Adam Silver took over as commissioner of the NBA, he has wanted to move to a more English Premier League style where you have a a tournament kind of mid-season, a bit like a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup. And... Some out of nowhere over the weekend came this European Super League, which is the exact opposite of what Adam Silver's been trying to get everyone in America to take note of. Yeah, I mean, this this European Super League has been on the cards for at least 10 years. What I can say about it is, I don't know, a lot of our listeners might not watch any football or watch a lot of football, but Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson, both these guys had tipped it to come in Round about the kind of start of the kind of noughties, the tens, whatever you call them, like kind of the end of 2009, etc. But it didn't happen. It was kind of postponed and pushed back, and there's loads of back and forth in. But the the whole idea of it was to give clubs a bit more money rather than all the money going, well, not all, all the money, but a lot of the money going to the advertisers and the, the guys that are broadcasting. The, I've seen a lot of takes, good and bad, for this Super League thing. But from my view, I'm a Yankee fan. So I knew that we were going to be involved in The Glazers are just the devils. They really are. They've killed a lot of the club's heritage. They've destroyed the kind of a lot of the good that was put in place before Shalik Ferguson left. I actually think it's probably one of the reasons that he wanted to go and didn't want to stick around after retired because just of how they want to run the business they were looking at not like a a way of making Manchester United the best club in the world again they were looking at as oh yeah they're a bit down on a lot just now let's try and rinse them for everything they've got they they went from not having any debt to being one of the most in debt clubs in the world 
you were talking about the, these 12 clubs. These 12 clubs, the smallest amount of debt that these 12 clubs had was around about 200 million, which is insane. And to say that these guys were the biggest of the big, it just wasn't true. There was a lot of big teams that just weren't included. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be like the top six in England. But some of those teams mentioned in this Super 12, this Super Pack, if you like, not even in the top six in England at the moment. So obviously Liverpool were mentioned. One thing that has struck me, and with the NBA, there's a massive power uh, player empowerment. That's, that's the kind of era that we're in. But it has to be said that it's fan empowerment, certainly in the UK, that has forced clubs like Chelsea Manchester City to pull out because they've seen the reaction of their fans. Their fans are not happy. And what's probably weird for Chelsea is, you know, you'd be missing derbies and stuff, but Chelsea actually wouldn't be missing that many kind of derby games against Arsenal and Tottenham because they were supposed to be in there as well. But even they have kind of backed down and said, oh, you know, we'll maybe not go down this route. Moving to Adam Silver, though. Adam Silver is very much of the opinion that he wanted a British, English Premier League type kind of season where you'd play half your season, it'd be a shortened season, and in the middle of it, probably around Christmas, you would have this tournament of of sorts. It's never kind of been nailed down exactly what that tournament would look like because he never kind of gets far enough to explain before someone asks him a stupid question. So is this something that if, if the governors of the NBA now look at this and think, wow, look at the mess of European football over just one weekend, let's stay well clear of that. Does this make this kind of tournament idea that Adam Silver has just dead in the water now? I think there's, I, I, just like with the, the Super League, there's two ways of looking at it. There's two ways of looking at the Adam Silver thing. He was proposing, obviously, a shortened season, which is much, much better for the fans, the teams, the players, the owners, If even if they don't think about it like that, because obviously they might see it as, we're losing money from sponsorships, etc. But they're not seeing the bigger picture, which could be the this the sponsorship could be in a different way. There could be more community outreach, which is building their fan bases, etc. The the Super League was actually gonna be more games. It was at least twenty league games and then knockout stage afterwards, which is more than they play in the Champions League. It's more than they play in the Carabao Cup and all this kind of stuff. Whereas if Silver was saying it's going to reduce the amount of games, I think it would be a good idea. I think they might actually think about it that if the combination of this tournament and the shortened season is less than 82 games, it might be a gore. And this tournament, maybe it's like a golden buzzer type thing. You get to the final four, you're automatically into the playoffs. You know, that could be actually something that's quite enticing to some of these teams. So I think one of the one of the kind of versions of this tournament was yes there would be a less less games in the regular season however if you made the final of the the extra tournament you would have ended up playing 82 games anyway <laughs> because you made it all you, you've still you've still made it all the way to the to the final and then of course you've got playoffs on top of that so i suppose one way of looking at it is and it, it and i think this is what it 
it comes down to when you, you look at the FA Cup. The FA Cup, historically, all, all, every year produces an underdog. An underdog from a non-league or like a League 2 or something like that, where these people get paid. In fact, most of these teams down in the in lower leagues have part-time jobs. They're lawyers, they're workmen, they're, what do you call them? Journalists Tradesman. or whatever. Tradesmen, yeah. So, from one aspect, the FA Cup idea, there's a bit of romance about that because you've got Joe Bloggs down the street who loves playing football, suddenly gets thrust into a quarter-final against Manchester United. It's the dream of his life. And there is that romance about the FA Cup. And I think what Adam Silver is trying to recreate can't really be recreated because even if you look at a Detroit Pistons, they're kind of bottom of the wrong player is still on like a couple hundred grand a year so it doesn't it doesn't really kind of spread well but I think what it would do is it would give those teams that are bottom of the league a bit of extra to play with because I think that's something that they've they very much need because you just see them kind of drop out so quickly and then they start kind of tanking and we've got all those issues as well so I think that's something that will be good to have that extra tournament and like you say, less games would be would be better because I think especially when you get to this this part of the season, it has started to get to get a bit kind of long in the tooth. So yeah, if if we were to look at the NBA side and look at these this tournament, it would allow teams that are kind of bottom of the league to maybe shine a little build a bit of momentum and then maybe even take that momentum into the second half of the season so that they could end up, you know, maybe they do make that play-in game. Maybe they do make that kind of guaranteed playoff spot rather than kind of languishing at the, the bottom of the division, whichever conference that they're in. So that could, that could be an interesting way of, of doing it. But I think he's a long way off. And I actually do think that by having this issue in Europe, where they've tried to Americanize, which is was basically what they've done. They've basically tried to start their own NFL, their own NBA. That's effectively what they've tried to do in Europe with soccer. And JP Morgan and the foreign owners of all these clubs, because all of these clubs are owned by foreign owners, they want to make money. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to money. You alluded to a moment ago is over the pandemic, they've not made money and they are in massive, massive amounts of debt. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, let's all just club together. We'll get the best clubs in Europe. We'll all club together. We'll make this European Super League and we'll be able to sell the sports rights for billions. We'll be able to do this, that and the other. And we're just going to make money hand over foot. But I think what they forgot about totally forgot about and it's been written in the press everywhere is the fans but one thing I don't think they maybe counted on was maybe the player reaction and the manager's reaction because the managers and the players knew nothing about this until it was announced at the weekend as well and and watching some of the press, press conferences that they've been given has has been really interesting like they're actually going to normally you would go with your club yeah, well, whatever the club wants to do, we'll go and do that. These players, these managers, Jurgen Klopp, for one, at Liverpool, turned out was like, no, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> what are we doing? 
what, what are we doing? Jamie Milner, James Milner. He he was exactly the same. No, nah, I don't want to see this. I'm gonna like Liverpool have a very big rivalry with cross town rivals Everton. Could you imagine not seeing a Liverpool Everton game? That would be really weird. That would be like seeing not seeing a Knicks Nets game or a Lakers Clippers game. It would be really really odd. I think the I think the funniest thing that came from all this was a lot of the pundits etc. and the the kind of sports media went back and looked what would happen if we removed those big six from the previous seasons. And as you were saying, Everton were pretty much six for quite a lot of the years. So if they were six, they would become champions then, if they were now the only ones left in the Premier League. But yeah, as you're saying, loads of the managers and the players have kind of came out and said against it. It's actually what led, or what apparently led to uh, Woodworm, sorry, Woodward, uh, being fired or resigning. A lot of the players at Manchester United uh, confronted him and was like, you you planned this? You didn't consult with any of us? You know, we're competing for a, a major European trophy this year. We're trying to get our way back in the league. And you're just, you know, going against all that and against the fans. Nah, it's, it's not on. So I'm not I'm not surprised that he's gone. I'm, I'm hoping that some of the the other guys, the Glazers, etc., follow them out the door, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'd love it to happen, and I think that if they knew what was good with them, they might they might want to go, right, maybe we've messed this up enough, let's go back home. Yeah, Tampa Bay is probably looking a hell of a lot better these days uh, <laughs> than Manchester. Uh, we will move on to real NBA news now. Uh, obviously, the Adam Silver idea is still in the works, and that, that could come to fruition at some point over the next couple of years, but I think that's still got a lot of work and I think it's taken a step back over this weekend. But, mate, this week some teams got fined for resting players. Spurs were one of the big ones as well. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs actually are one of the teams that are not resting many other players. <laughs> the The strange thing about it is the Spurs rested, they did rest uh, John Tamari, uh, Poto, and DeRozan and got fined because they rested all three of them. Whereas we see constantly for the past two weeks, the Raptors, OKC, Detroit, to several teams just picking and choosing when to have their star players playing. And it's not to do with injuries. It's not to do with injury recovery. They can say that's what it is, all they want. It's They're not fooling anyone. They really aren't. Well, I have to hold my hands up. Lakers Jazz on Saturday, we've seen a number of players not dressed for that game. Donovan Mitchell does have a a high ankle sprain. He's going to miss probably a couple of weeks, to be fair. But Rudy Gobert was out, as was Mike Conley. And they were back two days later playing the Lakers. So, unfortunately, I think more fines could be on their cards for more teams. But what I really, really hope is that the NBA stopped this, fining teams for resting players. Because effectively, the NBA are then dictating to coaches who they can play. And if Yeah, definitely. A, it's... If you have a game plan, Greg Popovich is known for his game plans and mind games and everything else, right? One thing that he was always really, really good at, and the reason that Tim Duncan had such a, a long career, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, the reason they had long careers is because he managed their time. 
and yeah, there was occasion that he would probably overstretch it, but you know, needs must. But he would manage their minutes, and they would still win championships. And one thing that I don't want to see have happen is teams being forced to play someone because it's for the good of the league. Well, surely it's better for the league if the guy's fit and healthy and ready for playoffs. Surely that is better. At the moment, and and the way I understood it in previous years, they were only going to levy these fines for nationally televised games. But at the moment, it just seems to be ah, fine here, fine there, fine everywhere. And I got it for nationally televised games because, you know, people are tuning in, paying a lot of money to go to these games. But they're not just now because we're in a pandemic. So there's very little fans in stadiums just now anyway, in comparison to what you'd normally have. But should they still be fining the way that they are? I mean, I I personally don't. I don't like it. And I, I hope it stops soon. What I'm what I'm confused about is the fact that they uh, Adam Silver came out at the start of the season this year and said we are not going to be looking at these kind of ridiculous fines that we we're looking at the past couple of years, and to start the season, yeah, it went ahead. We saw Paul George rest the occasional game, Kawhi Leonard obviously, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, James Harden, all these guys were resting every now and again. Kyrie Irving, etc. Kyrie Irving did get fine, but that was for a totally different matter. But he did, he did stick to his word up until a point. He's now, I think, he's now at the point where he's seen all these guys who are tanking, as I was saying, the Raptors, OKC, and Detroit in particular. They're really trying to go for it. What I found hilarious actually was the Raptors tried to tank that much against the Cavs. They rested their whole starting five, and the Cavs were just like, well. We're going to play our starting five, and we're still going to lose by forty. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> you think you can beat us to the bottom? Not going to happen. We've done this many, many years before. Nick Nurse get in line. So I thought that was absolutely hilarious. But yeah, I'm hoping that he doesn't ramp up these fines, and he needs to take a good, long, hard look because we're we're coming near the very end of the season, and there's going to be a lot more of these instances. So. It could get a bit out of control if he's going to keep going the way he's going. Yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't like it. I think coaches should be allowed to coach. And if they want to manage their team through 82 games, I think they should be allowed to do it. So I do think the tanking thing isn't great and it isn't a good look for the league. So I suppose on that, that side of it, I kind of understand that they maybe have to look at it. And maybe that's why the Jazz haven't been looked at because they're top of the league. And to be fair, they were resting players against a depleted Lakers team anyway. I mean, you had no LeBron, no AD, and so on. So the Jazz might not even get looked at for that. And the Jazz lost that game as well. So in terms of San Antonio, though, it just it just kind of freaks me out because, you know, Greg Popovich is the longest-serving coach in NBA history. He's, he's kind of too long in the tooth for kind of, kind of the, this kind of tit for tat, oh, well, we're going to give you a fine because you didn't play a couple of players. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all to find teams for this now. The, the best was as well, the Spurs are in the playoff race. They were com- they were still competitive in the game. So it wasn't like, oh, we're trying to purpose lose this game. We're actually still, apparently, trying to make the playoffs. So it didn't make any sense to find them. And they were playing the Suns. Suns who 
are a pretty decent team this season. And, you know, if you weren't going to rest players or you were going to rest players, it wouldn't be this game that you would choose it. You'd want your best out for this game. He's obviously taking it as, you know what, these guys need a rest. It's a long-ass season. And we didn't have an all-star break like we're used to. And it's still a lot of games to be played. So, and at the end of it, the Spurs want to be in the playoffs as well. So, nah, I'm, I'm kind of with Pop on this. I just think it's, it's a weird one. Your boy, Durant, has uh, picked up yet another injury. Talking about resting. I mean, if that guy rests anymore, he's going to like have a his own dreamliner uh, flying around the world. He's just, he, he just can't stay off the, the physio bench, can he? I, I'm not surprised. I thought they, they brought him back too early from his original injury. They've not, because of the, the Harden issues and the, and the Kyrie issues, they've not had the luxury of resting him on back-to-backs as much. He started to play back-to-backs and he picked up an injury. It wasn't, for me, it wasn't a surprise. It was more surprised that it came the way it did. Four minutes into a game, I didn't think that he was going to be out for the rest of the game because he stayed. he stayed in the game. He blocked a shot. He took another shot. He ran up and down the court. He just he was limping, but I thought it was going to kick so He's going to go to the locker room, get some treatment, come back on. But he didn't, and it was a real surprise, especially because it was a it was a it was a game where the Nets were heavy heavy favorites. The Heat without Jimmy Butler, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be an issue for that all powerful Nets team to take on and dismantle. But it obviously wasn't and. Obviously, with, with Bam and Precious, etc., and Dwayne Dedman coming in there now, it's there's a lot of big bodies, and going against a very slim Kevin Durant is going to cause some issues, obviously. So I, I just thought it was a strange one that he was even playing that game to begin with. Do you think if Lamarcus Aldridge hadn't been forced into retirement, do you think there would have been a necessity for, for Durant to play or, or do you think he would have had that rest? I I think that the, the the coaching staff, especially Steve Nash, need to take a good hard look at that roster and decide what they're going to do in this run up to the playoffs. Because if they're going to risk the health of their three-star players in these last two weeks... They need they need their heads examined. They really do. They they can't be doing this. They can't go into a first round series and think it doesn't matter who we're against. We're going to overpower them anyway. If they pick up one injury, it's it's a playoff series. It's not a one off game. One injury then to one of their superstars can easily go to a second injury to another superstar, and that that's their whole season gone. Just for the fact that they've decided, oh yeah, we want we want to try and get all three of them playing against the Cavaliers on a back-to-back on a Sunday night. You know, it's, it's nonsense. They, they, need, they need to actually start planning their roster and using the guys on their bench more because they've got people like DeAndre Jordan, who was a 30-minute guy at the start of the season, is now not playing any games. He's not injured. He's not out for rest. He's just not getting on the court. So for me, it's, it's a strange one. And they, the coaches need to question their own tactics. So Steve Nash may be showing... A bit of naivety that you know he's a bit maybe too green around the girls to to have taken on such a a, a huge job. I mean, yes, I know he's got D'Antoni there, but D'Antoni doesn't always have the the best kind of reputation for tactics either. 
Yeah, I mean, but he's got. It's not just Antonio. They've got a whole bunch of guys who've got a lot of NBA head coach and assistant coach experience, and these guys have been through the mill. They've been to playoffs. They've been with superstar players. They should know, like, what the power of this last couple of weeks really is. It's not a case of let's run our guys into the ground like a, a Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks, and just you know we're going to get home court advantage. Why? Why, Tom? It doesn't. You're you're going to struggle in the playoffs. Great defense, Tom, but your guys, you're you're not an offensive power powerhouse. So I I just don't I don't get it. I think they're they're really they were really gunning for that number one spot, but when that's gone, you've got to you know you've got to really look at the bigger picture here. Yeah, and talking about injuries, you you brought this up. Injury rate is actually down six percent on a normal season. Now. When I read that, when you sent that over to me, I was like, nah, he's talking Can't be right. Can't be right. Can't, yeah. be, can't be right. Because, <laughs> but you know what is? Here's the difference. The amount of starters injured, I think, it is, is up. And because usually, obviously, when you talk about this, this 6%, you're including all players right across the roster. And when you include all players across the roster, it is down 6%. But I think you look at it and the reason it looks... Is, or feels that it's more is because it is more high profile players and it's high profile players like Durant who are having multiple injuries and I think that's the thing, it's the multiple injury because maybe, and Durant did this with the Warriors he came back too early was injured again so and spent a long long time out and, and I think maybe that's something that needs to get looked at maybe the medical team's are having a bit of pressure from coaches, maybe ownership, saying, I mean, we could really do with them back, you know, especially with the Nets, with the, the issues. I mean, they're paying out a lot in salaries and not getting much on the floor from it because they're on the physio bench. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. It's definitely the the, the higher name stars are, are suffering a lot more injuries. And that all comes down to these coaching rotations, what we have seen, what we usually see in a normal season for 82 games, is we usually see maybe about 20 to 30% of the games, the rotation gets shortened to 9 or 10 guys. But at the start of the season this year, a lot of teams were going in with 9 or 10 guys. And that was it. That's their whole squad because everyone's either COVID protocols, concussion protocols, track and trace, etc., 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 and when that rotation gets cut down that much, it doesn't it doesn't leave the coaches much choice to say, I'm sorry, Kevin, I'm sorry, Jamal, you're going to have to play an extra three or four minutes every night. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're doing that for two weeks on road trips, that's that all adds up. It really does. And I, I'm surprised that we're actually on an average we're, apparently, the ten-year average for ACL tears is four per year, and we've just hit that with Jamal with Jamal Murray's. I I don't think that that's going to stop at four this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see another one or two. There's a couple of candidates who are playing way too many minutes for for my liking just now that are you know got some dodgy knee issues. You know, you've got John Wall, etc. Russell Westbrook. These guys are playing a ridiculous amount of minutes. Their teams aren't in playoff contention as of yet. And they are still putting their bodies through a massive amount of stress for no real reason, it seems. 
No, that's it. And that's just going to lead to more injuries at the end of the day. What we'll do is we'll take a short break and we'll be right back after this. So by now, you'll have seen our website, atpsports.net. You gotta admit, it's pretty awesome. It was brought to you by the team at Data Squared. You can find them on the web at datasq2.co.uk. They're dedicated to bringing the very best in website design with hosting and security. Their aim is to provide you with the very best package you need to help spread the word about your business. Data Squared will design and build a website for you. And they'll build it not just for desktop, but for all devices so you can be seen on the move. Data Squared will help you choose your domain, making sure it's relevant to you and your business. And they'll open up an online store for you. They have the tools so you can keep track of customers, their orders, stock, and much, much more. So why not expand your business online today? With Data Squared, visit datasq2.co.uk. Okay, so we're back, and as we said at the beginning, it's been an eventful week in the NBA. There's a lot been going on. Russell Westbrook's been up to his old tricks when it comes to to rebounding and triple doubles and breaking records. He is Mister Triple Double. What's he been up to this week? Yeah, so he's he's now. Nine as of last night behind Oscar Robertson's all time record of 181. I've I'll always double Mr. Stewart rebounds, mainly for the fact that I, I've seen him wrestle at least 20 rebounds away from Steve Adams when no one else is around when he's on OKC Thunder. He is averaging a ridiculous amount of rebounds this year, as per usual. He's actually averaging more than I think all the Washington Wizards centers combined, which is it's quite funny. You know, for for me, it's it's quite hilarious when you're you're not seven foot and your job is not to be in the paint uh, on defense and you're getting all the rebounds. It is it is weird. I mean, I've seen a couple of people, players, uh, the last couple of years, just like fight their own team for rebounds. I don't really, I don't really get it if I'm honest. Because at the end of the day, it's your team. Yeah, okay, you maybe want to go for stats and everything else, and that's one thing. But that's yeah, doesn't really make much sense to me. I've got a couple of Utah Jazz stories. And obviously these make me, normally they, they make me very happy. However, one has been, and I was watching the game live, luckily, for some reason, or unluckily in this case, the Jazz had some really UK friendly times um, over the weekend. Um, so I got to see a couple of games. Uh, but Mitchell was unfortunately injured and lifted out of the, the off the court. He has had an MRI. Uh, on his ankle and um, it's revealed that there's no structural injury or damage so it's all kind of muscular and ligaments I imagine to his ankle after he came down on his right ankle it looked a lot worse at the time watching it probably because it was Donovan it did look a lot worse than it, it it's turned out to be but certainly against the Pacers he looked on, on top form it was one of these games yet again where the Jazz start the game terribly. First quarter was absolutely horrendous. And then we were coming back into the game. And when Donovan went down, we were still actually losing the game at that point. And I, I kind of thought, oh, what are we going to do here? But the pressure that the Jazz were able to kind of keep piling on the Pacers worked very well. So very happy with that. And they, they came out with the win. But how much of a loss is someone like Donovan Mitchell to the Utah Jazz? Yeah, it's it's a it's a big one for for me. I, I was I, I watched it, and in, in kind of retrospect, I wasn't actually watching the game live. I, I think a couple of hours later, I saw what happened, and I don't think it was so much when he came down. It was the contact that was made by I'm pretty sure it was one of the yeah, holidays. 
that was kind of rolling on the floor afterwards. It kind of that, along with the 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 impact of him landing, kind of compounded that whole injury. It's just it's a real bad one to to happen, especially in this kind of run up time. Obviously, the Jazz would be looking to rest them a little bit, but I don't think they want no. to rest them this way. For 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 me in the kind of little selfish way, luckily I, I picked up Jordan Clarkson in my fantasy league, so fantastic. But also, I think this might help the Jazz a little bit with their rotations when going into the playoffs because I think that's one of the kind of downfalls that you guys seem to always have, where your your guys off the bench don't get enough touches and they don't they don't get enough time to express themselves on the offense. You know, defensively, fantastic, but contributing to the offense. I mean, we've seen Joe Engel's usage go way up. We've seen Clarkson now starting to find a bit of form again, which is, you know, it's a fantastic time for this to happen. Yeah, um, I don't think it's a fantastic time for it to happen. Thanks very much. But but no, it, it will give those guys a chance. And I think Joe Engel's against the Lakers on, on Saturday. I watched that game live and... Yeah, straight away, like he had the the grip between his teeth and he was going for it. Definitely different, yeah. totally different player, totally different player from where he was the, yeah. halfway through. Uh, hopefully, Donovan can make a, a speedy recovery. Maybe not too fast because obviously we want him to be a hundred percent fit for for the playoffs. Now, on the same night that that happened, the Jazz announced that they had a new minority owner. And it's not the kind of minority owner I ever thought that we would have in Utah. I thought this particular minority owner would rather buy a share in the Miami Heat, since that's where he spent the majority of his career. Dwayne Wade decided to elect to not buy into the Miami Heat. There was apparently an offer made, but he decided against that. Um, In all fairness, he is very good friends with Ryan Smith, who's the majority owner of the Utah Jazz. And they've done some business together in the past. And he's decided, yeah, I'm going to buy into the Utah Jazz. Now, one thing that I was music to my ears was we've known for a number of years that Dwayne Wade and Donovan Mitchell are good friends. Dwayne has been somewhat of a mentor to Donovan. And that's and there's obviously been a lot of comparisons in the way that they played. One thing, as I say, very happy to hear is he wants to be hands-on within the organization that with his championship credibility um he's won a few that's got to be good for the jazz in terms of you know where we are just now in the league and where we want to maybe become playoff time yeah definitely i think uh, as as you alluded to there the fact that Dwayne Wade has he shown even before he left the league He's a very business savvy guy, and he he takes these decisions with a, a great deal of thought. So him not buying into the heat just now, I'm not overly shocked at it. I think somewhere down the line he might still end up um, buying into the heat and wanting to be more of a major shareholder rather than a, a majority uh, a minority shareholder as he is at, at the at the Jazz. But as as a team to buy into, I think that's it's a great move for him. It's a great move for Utah. And to bring that kind of knowledge, the advice, the you know that whole power that Dwayne Wade comes with, you know, he's still mates with a lot of people in the league. A lot of people look up to him. Could it be potentially a deciding factor in some of these free agents who are coming up later on in the next couple of years? You know, oh, I want to go where 
someone's won a championship before. You know, we've got a guy in office who knows what he's doing, wants to be involved and can help my game. I might want to go there. So I think that's it's a great move. And even better, he's not going to score Donovan any nines if he goes into the slam dunk contest, <laughs> is he? Uh, um, no, I wouldn't imagine so. It is, it is nice to see something come to, to a small market team like Dwayne Wade. It doesn't happen very often, especially in Utah. But the fact that Dwayne obviously has this relationship with Ryan Smith, apparently they discussed this over golf in California. And the, the fact that he's come in um, is brilliant. And, and like you say, he's he is a savvy businessman. Even as a player, he did have businesses on the go and he had some thumbs and some pies. And, you know, he was making money away from the game as well. So I think this is a good move for the Jazz as well, because I think... You know, when the team was bought over by Ryan Smith, there was a lot of questions as to what's he going to do? Where's he going to take us? You know, what are his plans? And if I'm honest, he hasn't really laid out a lot since taking over. Obviously, COVID's kind of put pains to kind of big speeches to crowds and everything else that you would you would tend to expect. But sometimes maybe actions speak louder than words. And, and bringing in someone like Dwayne Wade is a massive massive action so I'm very hopeful that Dwayne will uh, continue the good fortunes that we have the, the Jazz have been excellent over the last couple of seasons and this season in particular so hopefully this this is just a bit more of a motivator as well and great for players for young players that are coming through the Jazz as well So because we do have quite a young roster it's not an old roster it's quite a young roster so hopefully it's good for them as well moving on to the playoffs there is a few fights on the go in the playoffs. There's a play-in game to play for. One team that has impressed me over the last few weeks, now we had Kareth Burke on last week talking about the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry had been at it again. He shut down the 76ers, scoring 49 points. That is unbelievable. And what makes it even more unbelievable is... It's becoming regular. <laughs> He's not just doing this a one night, kind of once every kind of so often. He is putting up big numbers night after night. Um, he's now the league's scoring. He's leading the score at the league in scoring at the moment with 1,521. Lillard's got 1,492. So he is averaging 30.1 points per game. And he's a leading scorer of three-pointers in the league just now, making an average of five. Now, over the last kind of two weeks or so, I think he's averaging about 10 because he's just knocking them in for fun. Now, the Warriors are still 29 and 29, and I've always been a, a thinker when it comes to the NBA, especially the NBA, that one man can't win a championship. But Steph Curry's going to try. Yeah, he's definitely going to He's going to give it you know, the best try he's got. I think more so I'm surprised that he's he's doing this, battling through a, a bit of an ankle sprain. I don't know if you've been watching any of the games closely, but every time he comes down from one of these ridiculous three-pointers where he takes contact, he hobbles that bit on his ankle, which is just, you know, it's not, it's not a good sign for his long-term health. But if he keeps doing this, he's making he's making a big, bold statement of, should he be in the running with this MVP race? 
you know that's that's the big thing you know and I wouldn't be shocked if he keeps going the way he's going and the Warriors start to creep up you know they might not get to that kind of six spot or anything like that but if they start to keep creep up and they they do something he could could be in there now I don't get and everyone should be aware of this I don't get a vote in the MVP race Our, our podcast isn't quite that big yet for the NBA to start giving us votes however I do have a rule that an MVP has to be at the minimum a top three team in their division. So as much as it looks nice that he's going to win a scoring championship potentially, MVP is is way, way out of there. It would have to go to, you know, someone on the Jazz, Suns, Clippers at the moment, or 76ers, Knicks or Bucks. And I don't think it can really go any lower than that. Because I think if you start going lower than that, then it just starts to kind of dilute it. It's, it's, it's why, like, when they give out Rookie of the Year to someone and the team didn't even make the playoffs, you're kind of like, yeah, he's, he's like the best player on a terrible team and he's won Rookie of the Year. So it, it's that kind of thing. But I, I like it. I think Steph has been a warrior his whole career. And I think warrior by name, warrior by nature, and he just isn't giving giving up. And you think about what he's got around him. Wiseman's hurt now; he's out for the season, I think. And then you've got Clay out as well. So yeah, it's not, but he's still fighting. And and last season we didn't see this fight, I don't think, because he had his own injury problems with his ankles. And I hope this ankle issue doesn't become any more than it is just now. Yeah. It will be it'll be interesting. In, in their in their whole kind of their conference, the only team that looks like they could be in a bit of danger of moving out the playoff race is the Spurs, as obviously we talked about earlier. They're in the playoff race right now. They're three and a half games up on the Pelicans. The Pelicans are now healthy again. So I would not be surprised to see them now try and mount a charge. There's there's not many games left. I think it's what fourteen ish games I think they've got left so it'd take a mammoth effort to get there but with Van Gundy I wouldn't put it past them if they win all their games it's it could very much be possible so that that's an interesting one to keep an eye on if we look out east it's a totally different picture you've got Indiana Chicago Washington and for some unknown reason the Raptors are still in this playoff hunt. They are trying to tank and they can't do it. The teams below them will not let them lose. Every game they play against the team that's below them, they win that game. Doesn't matter who they put out. I'm pretty sure at this moment in time, they could probably run out Landry Fields. They could put back in Vince Carter. They could go and get the dinosaur, Barney the dinosaur, and they would still probably win against Detroit Pistons or the Cleveland Cavaliers, etc. But the, this kind of playoff race that's the, the kind of bottom couple of spots in the Chicago Washington right now, and the Raptors just below them, I don't know what's going to happen with these. Chicago had a big win last night over Boston. Vucevic just coming out absolutely gigantic against whatever Boston threw against them. And he just, you know, powered them through. Meanwhile, Washington beating OKC they stay on that same record. So it's it's a real interesting one. Yeah. Least. One thing I noticed when I looked over like the, the last kind of 10 games or so through the East is the New York Knicks. 
they've managed to win six games in a row and give themselves a winning record. And they've just catapulted themselves into sixth position. And like say, Boston losing, they're now kind of level, 31-27. So can the Knicks push themselves up even further? Or do you think they're going to now plateau as as uh, Tom Thibodeau kind of knackers the team? Well, um, they, he really has knackered the team. I think Nerlens Noel picked up another wee bit of a knock the other night again. I, I'm I'm always on the kind of the fantasy Twitter to see who's in and out of these rotations, and we're seeing Taj Gibson get more minutes. We're seeing Alex Burks come back into rotation. We're seeing forty odd minutes a night from Julius Randle, who's put up a big big campaign this year. But bit interesting to see what happens when we're talking about our our early awards, etc. But yeah, so I think the Knicks won't get much higher. Even though they are one of the kind of still elite teams on defense, and they they're pretty much at their kind of peak health right now, you know they're not they're not totally banged up. They've obviously they've lost Mitchell Robinson, but they've you know they've got the main bulk of their scoring. It's just a bit of their defense, and it doesn't seem to have impact on their defense. So yeah. So talking about awards, who at this stage of the season, and where we are kind of coming up to the, the close of it. Who at this stage would you you kind of anoint as the MVP elect? I think you could probably tell who my MVP elect should be, but I'm going to give you two options basically because one for me should be the MVP, even if he has missed some games. The other one has got a better kind of statistical case. So my two votes, or my my main vote, would be for Joel Embiid. But I don't think he's going to get it. I just I think like the the press and the coaches etc. and all these people that vote for it, they'll be looking at Jokic. He should have got something last year. He's just been an absolute monster for the past like three years. You know his assists, the ridiculous passing, the scoring. You know he's big in the kind of clutch learner against Memphis. So I think it's probably going to be Jokic. But I'll be sad if it's not Joel, and it'll be very sad if he doesn't get at least, you know, 30% of the, the first yeah. place votes. It is, and it's very strange. We're, we're talking about two centres winning MVP. And I don't think, for the life of me, I can remember ever talking about two centres, probably since, oh, Shaq and Yao. Like, you would look at kind of MVP, and even then Yao was, you know, especially towards the end, was injured quite a lot. So it, it would be interesting to have one of them win it. I think you're right. I think Jokic puts up a lot of good numbers. They're fourth, so they're kind of out of my margin of error. So out of the two, I'd probably give it to to Joel. (laughs) But he is interesting. And I think the issues that that team have had haven't been of his own making. I think he's done a bit like Steph. Um, I think he's done everything he can possibly do. He possibly can. To, to, to yeah. win that. And what about most improved? Most improved? I, I think this is a runaway, this one. It's Julius Randle. The, the fact that he's now become like this just double-double monster, verging on triple-doubles, you know, handling the ball, scoring the ball, shooting threes for fun. He's just transformed his game. Whatever Tom Thibodeau does to the one player in his organisation that he likes, you know, that, that guy just becomes a superstar. 
like in in less than a season, he just becomes just transcendent almost that one guy. So yeah, I, I don't see anyone else other than Randall. Uh, um, yourself, Randall was mine. Um, I had seen a couple of articles calling for him to win MVP, and I, I did kind of. <laughs> I had to kind of squint at it to make sure it wasn't like making sure my contacts were in place. But he is definitely the most improved player of the league and whether that's down to Tom Thibodeau or whatever. It's been good to see because he came into the league with a decent kind of pedigree and I had always kind of hoped for, for more from him and he had a lot of potential and I think he's now finally, maybe it is that he's found a coach that kind of will let him kind of just go. He's done a great job. So for me, yeah, Julius Randle as well. I would I would go along with that. What about sixth man? Sixth man, you're going to be quite shocked. But it is... I think the seasons, as the season went on, I've been talked back into getting Jordan Clarkson as a sixth man. So I think he's pretty much nailed on as a sixth man. It might There might be some votes for Jalen Brunson. He has had a phenomenal year in Dallas. I think he was kind of a forgotten man last year where he just wasn't getting enough minutes. He wasn't getting enough touches. And seeing how Rick Carlisle is now giving him that trust to, you know, basically be that second unit offensive powerhouse and throw some different out of the defences, he's really came out of shell. And yeah, but Jordan Clarkson has just been phenomenal. You know, he's... He's went back into that six-man role and he's looked possibly even better than when he was in the, the start yeah, for a bit. I think as a starter, he kind of struggles. But as a as coming off the bench, I mean, last night against the Lakers, for example, he scores more points than anyone off the bench. He scored more than all the stars. So he is someone who can just come on and just turn it on and breathe new life into an offence. So uh, I was actually going to go down the route of Brunson. What was I, I had written down that he was like the new JJ Barea. Like he's just like got so much kind of fight about him and stuff. So, because um, I was a big, I was a big, big Barea shout, fan. Shout out to, shout out to TJ McConnell as well. He, he needs to get a look in there. He has been phenomenal as well. So, Shout out to some of these little guys. These little guys are proving that height doesn't matter as much as you might yeah, think in the definitely. NBA, guys. What else do we have? The defensive player of the year. Now, there is only one name that should be top of that list. But I know you're <laughs> going to say someone else. <laughs> so, you're wanting me to say the one name who has been just a defensive stalwart, blocking shots for fun... You know, just you know, leading the league in, in block shots, Miles Turner. Yeah, that's your one. Yeah, yeah, that's Turner. I to <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I know you're you're wanting me to say someone else who plays in in that kind of blue and yellow, blue and gold color, Rudy. But for me, I I think obviously all the bookies have him as the favorite. I I don't think he's been as good as he usually is as a defensive player of the year. He's had a lot more help this year. Mike Conley has been fantastic on defense. Royce O'Neill stepped up. Both these guys are in the top 25 in the defensive plus minus. So saying that Gobert is a runaway success for or runaway candidate for defensive player of the year and not thinking about those two teammates is a bit negligent, I think. So for me, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna plump for Jimmy. Mainly for the fact that if you if you watch any Miami games, when he's on the floor, they're a different team. 
that's a total different beast that no one wants to be any part of. And as you'll know, you've watched some Miami games because you've seen them now beat the Jazz a few times. So Jimmy, Jimmy gets my vote. Yes, yes, I have seen the Miami Heat a couple of times. Fair <laughs> enough. But now Rudy's the, the defensive player of the year. So, um, <laughs> um, rookie, rookie of the year. Because can you really pick ball now? I'll, I'll always pick Lamelo, mainly for the fact that when he fought his way into that system and fought his way onto the court, he's shown what it takes to be rookie of the year. Not just be given the keys, he took them. He took them from a, a you know a real good point guard in De- Devontae Graham, who had a breakout year last year. He said, "Go out of my court. This is this is my team now." You know, G- uh, Gordon Hayward, nah, your second piece. Let me do all the ball handling. I'll do the most of the scoring. Give me the ball. Let me do what I do. Whereas, I think what you're going to say is probably Anthony Edwards. I, I don't rate him. I don't rate him mainly for the fact that I think he's got all the potential to be another Andrew Wiggins. A guy who can give you 20 a night and a, a ridiculous amount of highlight dunks, etc., but not really impact winning. So I, I, I don't I don't have any trust in Anthony Edwards. But Lamello for me is definitely I can't give it to me to ball because he's injured and he can't just win it by default. But I don't have a rookie of the year because I think it's a really weak class and I I don't think anyone other than Ball when he was fit kind of deserved even to be in the conversation of Rookie of the Year. Ball deserves it for what he did but I think it has to be looked at over a whole season and if you miss it's not missing half the season but he's missing a good third of the season it's tough. Yeah. It's like 20 or so games he's missed. It's tough. So, Because um, I remember there was an argument for Zion Williamson when he missed like the first half of a season, came back, and people were like, oh, yeah, this guy should be, uh, should be rookie of the year. So I'm not entirely sure. So I don't really have a rookie of the year, I'm going to be honest, because I don't have much faith in I, in the rest of that class at all. I, I, I got to disagree. I think there's a lot of well, there's potential, potential in the class. But this year... No, no work... No, now we're in this. Now we're in this tanking mode for a lot of these teams. They're giving these guys some court time and some flashes. I think out of out of those out of those two that we said, you've got Tyrese Halliburton, who again fought his way into a rotation, so he needs to be up there in the kind of conversation. But you've got guys like Killian Hayes, who's just you know balling out in Detroit. He is you know he's came in for the last couple of weeks now that Dennis Smith Jr. and Jeremy Grant and stuff are and are out, and he has you know taken on the mantle of just scoring and providing assists and being really confident on the ball, which is fantastic. I I thought he was going to do that straight from the get go, but obviously with the amount of point guards and the, and the reckless coaching that was going on in Detroit, it wasn't to be. Another one from Detroit actually is another one that's taken my, my eye of uh, Isaiah Stewart. He is you know it's just he's he's very bam like in his approach doesn't shoot threes, handles the ball a little bit, sets real bone-crushing screens and gets to the rim, you know, blocks for days. He's just, you know, there's 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 definitely potential. And the one guy I would like to say who, I, who I'm surprised at after seeing his first 10 games, Poku from the Thunder. Uh, I keep saying every, every week that he's going to have some big, big games ahead of him. He's still putting these up, you know, he's just... Whenever he gets to play in the Thunder, because now the Thunder consider him as one of the future, because they're wrestling him every now and again. So that it shows you how much they value him, and they see it, that he is—he's a bright, 
spot on that roster. Yeah, and a blackout. Uh, let's be honest. Right, that that is us for the week. Um, we've covered a lot there. And I think in terms of the awards, we'll probably have to revisit them over the next week or so because I think, I think some of those spots could change, especially with injuries and, and everything else. So Lamella, Lamella may come back. Come back. Oh. There's rumours. There's rumors. But for the moment, Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. And we will be back next week for another NBA show as we start to ramp up towards the play-in games and then the actual playoffs themselves. You've been listening to Across the Pond Sports Podcast, part of Across the Pond Sports Network. Keep checking back for more episodes. Sports Social Podcast Network.